Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded on the 19th of May 2018, and I'm Joe. And on this episode I'm going to be talking to Jonathan Riddle from KDE and Sean Davis from Zubuntu. Let's get straight into it then and start with Jonathan Riddle. He is best known as the former Kubuntu lead and now the lead of KDE Neon. And he has become sort of an unofficial spokesman for everything KDE, really. He's the kind of go-to person. And um, when I got in touch with him to arrange this, he was kind of talking about, oh, someone else would be good. And I explained to him that he's a really good communicator. And um, so that's why he ends up being the go-to person. And so with the 5.13 beta having just been released, I thought it would be a good time to talk to him. So let's hear that now. Thanks for coming on the show, Jonathan. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. It's been a while since I spoke to you. Um, but I've, I've got you on to talk about the recent Plasma Sprint that happened in Berlin. Um, how was that then? Uh, it was so nice. The sun was shining. There was a giant TV aerial, as all the best German cities do. Um, and there were nerds and there was beer. So everything was there. Excellent. And so what did you accomplish there then? You, you were working towards the, the next release of the Plasma desktop. Right, so we're, we're releasing Plasma 5.13. The beta is coming out uh, tomorrow as I, as I talk to you on the Wednesday. And, uh, and we were working towards finishing off the features for that and um, working with our outside collaborators on, on longer term projects as well. Yeah, well, we'll get back to that. But what features are we looking to expect in this beta and then the final release then? Uh, so one of the nice headline features is Plasma browser integration. We worked out the, the magical plugins that you need to make the Plasma desktop work with Firefox and with Chrome web browsers. Uh, so when you get a notification in your web browser, then it pops up in the normal Plasma notification. Or when you download a file that doesn't use uh, a window inside Chromium, it, it uses the the Plasma pop-up on your desktop. So it, it integrates normally with the with the desktop. Same with media controls. Again, if you're playing a, uh, say, a late-night Linux podcast through your web browser, then you can uh, stop and pause it and play the next one through the through the Plasma uh, widgets as well as through the web browser. And it's really nice that it... Um, oh, you can send stuff to your phone. It, it integrates with KD Connect as well. So it, that, that's a really nice feature that, that uh, fits in what the Plasma team tries to do, which is make a desktop that uh, works with your applications and works with your lifestyle. So there was some work done uh, for the future, as you mentioned, um, with Wayland and Sway then. Right, so uh, switching to support uh, Wayland is one of our longer-term goals. And as part of that, Wayland just defines very basic uh, implementation of, of what applications need to do. But Plasma as a desktop needs to do a lot more advanced stuff because it needs to control where, where the windows are, where your panels are, where the, where the pop-ups are, and how those aren't, those are different from application windows and, and so forth. And, and that's controlled through a bunch of protocols where uh, the applications talk to the Wayland compositor, which for us is uh, Quinn, Kwin. Um, but the language that they talk, they've got to be standardized between the different projects. And uh, for a number of cases, uh, Quinn has had to create our own uh, protocols. And that works great, but it's nicer when you can do it with other projects because then applications are more likely to work well when you run them on different different desktops, different compositors. And 
and the end result, the the actual technical uh, implementation and uh, specification will be better because you've got multiple teams looking at it, and they'll always find um, different designs or, or better designs than than just one team working on their own. So it was great to have Drew there. He he's from Sway, which is um, one of the more elite window managers, tiling window manager. Um, it works the same way as i3 does on X-ray um, for people who like to have their windows controlled. Um, and and he's worked on a bunch of protocols, and we've worked on a bunch of those Wayland protocols, and it was great to share notes and work out where we could uh, standardize those across projects. And how close did you get then to that goal? Oh, pretty pretty close. Uh, they all... The, the various protocols that they looked at, we've worked out where it makes sense to either share an implementation or share a specification um, or just do our own thing because there's no dying need to share in some particular cases. Um, and so that, that was a nice collaboration and that, that worked well. But my understanding was that Kwin works quite well with Wayland at the moment. Yes, of course it works well. Um but things can always be improved, and, and there's still a lot of work to, to be done there. Yeah, because uh, presumably it's not just a case of uh, the, the standard case that you would imagine a laptop or perhaps a desktop with one screen. You've got to consider multiple monitors and also remote desktops as well. That is presumably where the real work goes in. And all sorts of strange edge cases of, of applications that uh, need their windows controlled in particular ways or or need the compositing turned off. And, and of course, then working with drivers, which is often the sticking point and one reason why uh, a lot of a lot of Plasmas, uh, the distributions that use our stuff, haven't switched because uh, the driver support, unfortunately, isn't there um, for a lot of cases. And so we, for changing that over, it, it needs a critical mass of projects behind them to say to the graphics driver authors... Um, you just need to uh, finish this work here, or we found a bunch of bugs here that mean that that you're a blocker for us, and uh, uh, it, it needs working together to be able to lobby those people into into fixing their problems. And have you been using Wayland on um, KDE Neon then for a while? It, it's not there by default, as I say. Yes, we use it, and I use it um, almost daily, depending on my mood or depending on what I'm testing, but. We don't have it by default because, as I say, some of the drivers aren't there. Some of the edge cases still aren't working. It doesn't give an immediate benefit to users. So there's, there's no point switching over by default until it's 99.9% there in terms of it, it won't affect the user, uh, because there's nothing worse than, than, uh, removing features or adding bugs for, for no immediate gain. Uh, but of course it's a, it's a long-term goal because it's a much better maintainable framework than X, which is code that's 30, 40 odd years old. And what about the security aspect? Is that not worth um, upgrading users? Yes, it certainly is. Um, X is pretty insecure if anybody else has access to your machine, then because problems or limitations in the X protocol, then it means that once somebody has access to one area, then they can get access to, to pretty much any application that's running. Um, and so it's well worth us moving towards switching that. But again, the trouble with security, of course, is people don't care about it while it's not affecting them immediately. And they do care about bugs that, that mean that they can't use their desktop. So uh, we haven't changed 
for, uh, for, for example, for KDE Neon by default yet. Uh, I know this is a question that no one ever wants to answer, but what do you think the timeline is likely to be on changing to default? Oh, oh, oh any day now, any day now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, when it, whenever it works without bugs is the answer, and who knows when that is. Yeah, fair enough. One thing that I saw in the blog post about this sprint was uh, a Pinebook running the Plasma desktop. And the Pinebook's a, a very affordable, shall we say, ARM-based laptop, isn't it? And it's uh, it was working well on that then. So I'm really excited about the, the Pinebook work. Uh, those are ARM-based laptops, and they cost $100 each, uh, which is quite a new price point for a full-featured laptop. If you if you used it, then you would just think, uh, this is this is a a laptop that I, I would buy in an expensive shop, but it's a new price point for people who, for example, you've got a school classroom for children, um, you can't afford to give them all a laptop. Well, a lot of places can with something as cheap as the Pinebook. Um, and getting into new markets there is important, uh, especially because it, it's not a new form factor, but it's a new, uh, it's a new, it's the new price point and it's the new technology and there's a laptop based on ARM chips rather than Intel chips. So we have the advantage over the encumbrance of, of Windows and Mac, for example. Uh, so at, at this sprint, we were working on optimizing Plasma to work well on the Pinebook, uh, which it does. It works really great. And that's part of the, the technologies that we use in Plasma. The, the cute underlying framework means that it degrades nicely when it has to degrade, when the hardware doesn't support as much acceleration. It, it removes some shadows and it removes some, uh, more shiny features, but it still looks slick and it still works uh, very well, and and that's what it does in the Pinebook. Um, so we'll we're talking to the Pinebook developers, the the people who build those laptops, and hopefully they'll be supporting Plasma soon. And what's the experience like apart from the desktop? If you're running just applications on it, what what sort of thing can you do with it? Anything beyond a bit of editing text and stuff? I mean, presumably any multimedia stuff is going to struggle with an ARM processor. Well, no, it, it can play games and it can play videos. Uh, one of the reasons why I haven't... We're, we're working on the KDE Neon version of a Pinebook build, and one of the reasons why I haven't uh, announced that yet, so this is an exclusive to you guys, right, but you, you'll keep it quiet for now, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is that the, the video was still stuttering a bit and, and it wasn't working as slickly as I would have liked. Um, so we, we're trying to work out why that is and, and work. Yeah. Some of the other problems like Bluetooth, we couldn't, we couldn't quite work out what we're doing there wrong, but other people have it working so that, so it must be just be something way that we're, uh, setting it up incorrectly. So we still need to figure out a couple of issues there, but, uh, it'll be really exciting to, to have that working. Um, which we will do soon. Is there any difference between the two different models, or is it just screen size? Because uh, isn't there an 11 and a 14 inch? Are the innards the same? I don't know. I'm afraid I haven't. Yeah, I've only got one model. They're, they're quite rare to get because they don't manufacture them until they've got a large enough batch of orders that they can manufacture them cheaply enough. So, you, so we struggled to actually get enough to be able to work on, um, and I managed to get one from some friendly Debian developer who was getting rid of theirs. 
Um, and I haven't got the new model yet, I'm afraid, so I actually don't know how it compares. Okay. I'm very tempted now, now that I know you can run a proper Linux desktop on it, because um, if it'll work well with Plasma, I mean, I know you said that, um, you know, you, you pair it down a little bit with the shadows and everything. I wonder what it would be like with maybe LXQt or, or even XFCE or something. Well, hang on. What's the difference? Right, there's this old myth that Plasma is somehow a heavyweight laptop. Plasma is a lightweight laptop. Plasma works extremely well on uh, hardware from from the most expensive hardware to the cheapest kind of Raspberry Pi type uh, developer board, and it that's part of the beauty of of what the technologies that we work with and a lot of the effort that we put in these days is uh, to make sure that it works as a lightweight desktop. So that's why. Uh, we see projects like uh, Ubuntu Studio as he are uh, going to be offering KDE Plasma as as one of their desktops because they realize that it's it's just as lightweight for users in terms of the resources and the memory used and the, the speed of startup, uh, but it's full-featured. It has all the shiny, smooth, slidey widgets that users expect these days, uh, whereas the other ones that you mentioned, they're... they're equally lightweight, but they don't have all the slidey, shiny features. Yeah. And most importantly, it's built on modern technologies, isn't it? Qt five, which um, that that's what attracts me to Plasma as as a choice because it is modern and yet relatively lightweight, as you say. Right. So we we spend quite a lot of time optimizing Plasma to make sure that it it starts up fast, that it uh, doesn't do ridiculous things like load a million files for no particular reason. Um, and so we're we're now a lightweight, responsive desktop, um, just as much as as any of the any of the ones that come to mind when you talk about lightweight desktops, but but it's full featured, and I think that's a great combination. Yeah. So, what about Plasma Mobile? What's happening with that? I, I hear that it's going to be an option um, for the the Purism phone, the Librem Five. How is development going on uh, KDE Plasma Mobile? It's still ongoing, uh, not terribly heavily at the moment, uh, because we're. Well, it, it needs a third party to pick it up and, and run with it. Um, and uh, Purism for a while looked like they were going to do that, but then in, it seems that their the, the head guy is a bit of a GNOME fan, so they're going to write a whole new mobile user interface using GNOME technologies for some reason, which is which I think is a real shame because we've got our one that's it's all there and it's ready to go. Uh, but for whatever reason, this guy happens to like GNOME, so okay, that that's what they're going with. So it'll be an option there, and that's great um but i don't think it'll be by default unfortunately um on the other hand we have at the sprint we did have quite a lot of success with convertible laptops uh so those laptops which can act like a laptop and then you flick the screen around and then it becomes a tablet uh because uh because plasma is written in such a way that it it's intended to work with multiple form factors uh it's just a few switches to be able to change the how it looks uh, so that it works really well when you turn the monitor over and suddenly you can get it running as a tablet so that, that was a really fun demo to to have working and does that scale down to a phone size then uh yes so it can do uh if there's a need i don't know if there's any computers that scale between that convert between tablets and phones uh, but well, it's not so much the conversion; it's more the case of it, just putting it in that mode permanently on a phone. Is is my thoughts there? Yep. So Plasma is fully adaptable and uh, makes it pretty easy to to switch between form factors. So if you've got a bit of hardware, then yeah, Plasma will work on it. 
Is that the same code that's making Plasma Mobile work, or is that kind of separate? Yeah, it's all the same code. Um, the difference between Plasma Desktop and Plasma Mobile is is just a few config- configuration files. It's it's not a different system at all. So it, Plasma has always been convergent between those different form factors, and uh, and that that's nice for uh, running onto mobile, but it, it's also gives a better user experience just on the desktop because it means that, well, we're forced to optimize out for um, different users or different use cases. Um, so, for example, it w- works great if you are if you have particular accessibility needs and you can't use a physical keyboard. So we support on-screen keyboard. And, of course, that comes from a mobile phone where you don't have a physical keyboard. But if you, if you need that option on a desktop, then Plasma works for you as well. So we talked about uh, the low-end Pinebook. Uh, what about the high-end Slimbook? Uh, there's a, a second revision of that available now, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so the Slimbook had sufficient success with the first model that they launched the second model. And that's very shiny and very slick, and I recommend everybody buy one. Uh, so it comes with better Wi-Fi aerial, um, so it gives you apparently three times better signal, which is great. It comes with faster memory, DDR4 rather than DDR3, if you know your different memory types. Uh, it comes with two solid-state disks, hard disks, one of which is a normal-speed solid-state hard disk, and the other one, they're both 250 megabytes. The other one is uh, three times as fast, solid-state hard disk. Uh, so for your root partition, they typically put it on. Uh, that one will, will beat you up extremely fast. Excellent. And um, did you get much chance to optimize the plasma experience on that or is it just kind of uh, standard enough intel hardware that just a standard plasma desktop is going to work well on it that's nice and standard intel hardware uh, but of course because it's real world users it means that when they have problems then we know about it because they're they're, they're paying customers right and they're they have the feedback channels through slimbook and directly through us and so we'll we'll be responsive to make sure that we fix those problems. So we we had a Kitty Neon ISO recently that when you installed it in Spanish, for some reason there was some problem that didn't work, and and so that means people got shipped their laptops that didn't work, and this is this is a horrific experience, of course, and exactly what we want to avoid. Um, but it it means that we could check that we could respond quickly, uh, and that we searched out what the problem was and fixed that, but that we also wrote the tests to make sure that it can't happen again. Um, so we, we've, in Kiddy Neon, we've done quite a lot of work with automated QA uh, to make sure that a lot of the operating system is on each build now. It will make sure that it matches onto our tests to make sure that it, it can install and the basic applications can run. And so one of the other things that I was doing at the sprint was writing more of those automated QA tests uh, to make sure that, for example... Uh, Plasma had a bug recently where the power manager didn't load up on the first run, and none of our developers spotted that because they don't they they never had a first run on the desktop. Of course, they they've uh, they just run it every day, and so I, I had to write some tests to make sure that that the power applet does correctly load and it it correctly runs, and that's the kind of fairly slow and fairly boring work, but that doesn't feel immediately rewarding because there's nothing immediately being fixed. The fix has been done by somebody else. But of course, you can be satisfied in knowing that uh, that the end product will not be broken, which is fantastically important. 
And I wouldn't be so vulgar as to ask numbers, but um, have the KDE project benefited financially then from these slim books? Uh, nobody quite seems to know. Uh, yes, they give a donation. Um, I'm not sure how much. And for some reason, nobody seems to quite know how much. But yeah, there will be proportion that goes to KDE EV. All right. So it is a good way for people to support the, the project then. Yeah, absolutely. But the best way to support the project is to, to give us feedback on our software, typically, and uh, and help out when we when we say, here's a fix, and uh, can you test it, and, and have people help out that way. Yeah, well, this beta will be out by the time people are listening to this, so presumably just the usual test it, bug reports, that sort of thing. Uh, well, test it. Um, a lot of work has gone into redesigning the system settings modules, um, so those... I originally switched from the old K-Control to system settings a decade ago. It was a very early project of mining Kubuntu. Uh, but a lot of the actual modules within those haven't changed since KD1 or KD2 times. And so a lot of a lot of them have been redesigned with this release of Plasma. And, uh, and of course, that means hopefully that people will find them slicker and shinier. Uh, but, of course, we need people to test them. So with the beta out, hopefully people will, will give it a try and test those out. Okay, great. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up then? Uh, we've improved the Plasma Vault encrypted storage that's got some nice user interface fixes. Oh, the the calendar plugin has there's a new astro- astrological dates plugin for it, so you can find out when the phases of the moons are and when the equinoxes is. That's always fun. Um, when you plug in an external screen for the first time, it'll it'll pop up a, a we dialogue to offer you configuration options so that your screen is on the correct side of where your physical uh, laptop or monitor is. And, uh, oh, GTK Global Menus, we're working on those as well, so that if you have the Global Menu option turned on, then GTK Applications will work with that correctly. So there's a bunch of new features there, and, well, with the beta out, hopefully everyone will, will test them and report back on whether or not they work. Okay. The one question that I have to end on is, how much damage has been done to the project by uh, the lack of proper iron brew these days? I find that uh, the new iron brew tastes almost as good as the old one, and that that's good enough for me. If it doesn't give me diabetes, that's probably a good thing in the long run, right? Yeah, well, the funny thing is iron brew is actually the reason that I am fat. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I will always hold a grudge for that, but it is ever so delicious. Um, well, anyway, thank you very much for joining me. And no doubt, um, I'll be speaking to you again fairly soon. Thanks for having me. Great chat as ever with Jonathan there. I was quite surprised at uh, what he said about purism there. I thought they were kind of working a bit more closely than uh, he implied. So that was interesting. And uh, yeah, do check out the 5.13 release and um, report bugs and everything. So a bit of admin then. Thank you, everyone, for your kind words about uh, the show and the patreon has ticked up a little bit uh, which is always good i assume that is because of this show and what i said last time you know the long-term goal of this show is to be able to contribute back to the projects that come on and, and give me their time and give us all their time to tell us about them but that can only happen if the show gets popular enough to get adverts on it or if loads of people support on patreon and paypal and things so if you go to latenightlinux.com slash support you'll find various ways that you can uh, help out. Uh, and if you go to latenightlinux.com slash contact, you'll find ways to get in touch. And if you go to latenightlinux.com slash feeds with an S, you'll find the various RSS feeds. Everything should be on iTunes now, so it should be on the various podcast players as well. 
the best bet is to subscribe to the all feed, the all episodes feed. That way you get the main show and this one in one and don't have to mess around. So on to Sean then. Sean Davis is the technical lead for Zubuntu and he's also an upstream contributor uh, to XFCE and he's a very interesting guy. And so I wanted to get him on and talk about the distro that I love more than any other. It's great to have you on the show, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So Zubuntu is the distro that I have been using since about 2008. I have traveled afar. I've used many different distros. I've hopped around, and I always come back to Zubuntu, presumably for the same reasons that you do, simplicity, lightness without being ridiculously light. Um, So first of all, thank you for continuing to make it great and uh, providing me with my desktop daily driver. Um, 1804 has just come out. It was a great release. Um, I suppose we should talk a little bit about that. The major change was moving over to Mate apps. So uh, what was the thinking behind that? So each release um, with Ubuntu, we bring in uh, the new known version of each app. And we've noticed that as each release goes on, more features go away and the interface moves further and further away from the traditional interface, which is what everything else XFCE uses. So Mate applications kind of fit in better there. And that was just the the thinking behind that. We wanted a more consistent desktop. Yeah, well, it's not much different, really. I mean, if if you're going from 16.04 to 18.04, some of the names of the applications have changed, but the functionality hasn't massively changed, has it? So your average user probably might not even notice. Right. But they they will generally feel the 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 fact that you know everything's got a title bar or whatever. You know, it it'll feel more like an XFCE application than oh, this application looks different. So. Looking forward then, what comes now? Because people always tell me, oh, I use an XFCE, oh, that's a dead desktop, that's stuck on GTK2, and you're going to have to move away from it. And I've kind of been making plans and, and looking around at the uh, the competition and thinking that Mate's good and Plasma desktop's good, and they are great, but if I can stay on XFCE, then I'll be even happier. So what does the immediate future hold in terms of 18.10 and uh, and beyond? So for 18.10, we're bringing in more uh, XFCE 4.13 components. So more of the things that are in development. Since it's no longer an LTS release, you know, we kind of have more flexibility for things that maybe don't have as wide of testing or some of the features might be more experimental. So right now, what we're considering is uh, bringing in the new uh, file manager desktop app finder panel settings and maybe even the session manager uh, just from XFCE 4.13. And how much of that is GTK3 then? So everything that is uh, XFCE 4.13 at this point is GTK3. So each of those applications has has a working GTK3 release. Because one of the things that people talk about is high DPI support, which GTK2 is pretty terrible with, but GTK3 is quite good with. Right. So does that mean that uh, 18.10 and beyond will have better high DPI support then? Yeah, they will. So XFCE settings uh, four thirteen, I think one included the the window scaling for the two X. Uh, we don't have the incremental scaling that GNOME has because it's part of the uh, compositor, but we may have that sometime in the near future with uh, XFCE window manager. Because there is kind of this um, stereotype of an XFCE user to be someone who 
isn't likely to have a, a high DPI screen and running crusty old hardware. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to say, but I mean, what, what are your feelings on that? Do you think that there are people running the latest hardware who just want this traditional paradigm of XFCE? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think a lot of our users, maybe even most of our users are running pretty, pretty standard, pretty strong, you know, current hardware. And Ubuntu kind of, you know, targets that, you know, we, we're not specifically a, a, a low end desktop operating system but you know we work for everything yeah well it works for me on on low to high end i mean mm-hmm. my laptop's fairly beefy and i'm still running it on that i don't see the need to have anything flashy so uh yeah hope it continues for a very long time um uh, so in terms of the next lts which is realistically what i'm going to run as a daily driver i mean i haven't actually upgraded to 1804 yet on my main machine um, because I don't know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the point one probably, but uh, maybe I'll crack before then. But in terms of 2004, I mean, are you looking that far ahead yet? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have the most like development fun right after an LTS because then we can, you know, we, we finished two years of work of making everything stable and getting it right to where we want it to be. And now we can kind of look forward for the next two years and start getting some bigger goals in mind. So several of our applications that we directly develop or kind of feature complete. So for the next two years, we're going to be able to focus more on, you know, fixing a lot of outstanding bugs and uh, reviewing our current app selection and uh, defaults. So Okay. One thing that has been doing the rounds on the mailing list and in the news a little bit is 32-bit i386 support. And a couple of the flavors have said that they're dropping the ISOs now. And there's even talk of maybe the uh, the whole archive going away. What is the Zubuntu position on that? Are you going to keep the 32-bit ISOs if possible? Uh, it's still kind of up in the air. We had a meeting about it a couple of days ago, and I don't think anybody's clamoring to keep it. Um, but at the same time, we do know that we have a lot of users still using that. Um, we're still trying to evaluate whether they're using it out of necessity or maybe they're just used to running the 32-bit OS. Um, but the consideration we've had is we've had some 32-bit specific bugs in the last couple of releases that have kind of made things difficult to reproduce and even more difficult to fix because very few people on the team have i386 hardware. And it's just not the same running it on proper 64-bit hardware then. I say proper because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got 32-bit only at this point, it's going to be very, very old, isn't it? Right. And so the minimal installer, that that is an option in the Ubuntu proper and also in Ubuntu Mate and some other flavors. But Ubuntu blazed the trail, as usual here, with the, the minimal, the core ISO. Right. What exactly is the situation with that? Are you going to keep that ISO around or are you going to use the installer option? We've, we've had some difficulty kind of getting the core ISO into a more like official status where it's hosted on the mirror, you know, all the mirrors and from the primary download links. Um, primarily that a lot of the changes, you know, we kind of have to update some branches and then get people from the core Ubuntu teams to merge them in so that we can get it to that point. Um, and we've kind of missed the mark on that for the last few releases, but we're going to tackle that early this release to finally get it to its official status. Yeah, because I remember at the time when you first produced the ISO, I was really pleased with it because it's what I want to do. I don't necessarily want to have all this stuff installed. I'm perfectly happy to run an install script or even do it manually, just build up the applications that I like. And that's what I do with my phone. I, I flash the absolute minimal G apps and then just... Um, 
build up what the, the applications that I want. And I think that it's something that a lot of people didn't know that they wanted necessarily uh, with the other flavors, but it's been very, very popular. So it would be good if uh, if that could become almost sort of the, the main, um, well, not necessarily the main ISO, but certainly uh, alongside it, or, or even... Um, utilizing the, the installer that Ubuntu have got where it rips out all the stuff that you tell it to rip out as as a flavor. Uh, I remember Martin Wimpress talking about this quite a lot, that um, it's the stuff actually does get installed, but then it gets ripped out because normally you rip out stuff like G-Parted and, and whatever. Um, it, it seems like a bit of a clumsy way to do it, but the result is certainly very good. Right. Yeah, and it's definitely been really popular, and I think we'll probably also look at that option after we get the core ISOs actually, you know, up and official. So I, we may very well have several different installation options. Okay, and so the question that you uh, never want to answer is when, when, when. So when are we going to get four point fourteen? Do you think? Um, I don't think it's far off. Um, I think it's it's very likely, possibly even within the next year. Um, so a lot of the main XFCE components have been ported to GTK3. They are stable or very near stable. Um, there's still things like the window manager, which need a lot more work to get it there. But because we've you know been working so hard on it for, for the last couple of years, there's not a whole lot of work left. Okay, it's funny that you say soon and then within a year. That's sort of typically XFCE, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's pretty soon for XFCE, I think. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's good though is that it it that never seems to change, and and the changes that we're talking about here aren't massive changes like we're talking about with GNOME two to GNOME three or whatever. We're talking about modernization, moving to GTK three, making it work with high dpi but essentially functioning in the same way that it has for the last at least 10 years that i've been using it and and to me that's the best thing about it oh yeah and when whenever it does happen a lot of people aren't even going to notice so like in zubuntu each release we add more of the gtk3 versions of xfce apps but they look identical they function identical they're just using the new new toolkit and often you can't tell which one you're running yeah well that's how it should be as far as i'm concerned rather than constant disruption um, I noticed uh, when you went on Destination Linux recently, um, you talked about the collaboration with the other flavors, and now you've got an IRC channel that you can uh, discuss things with each other. We do. How much collaboration has there been traditionally? Because uh, Wimpress has told me a fair bit about collaborating with other flavors. I know he does, but how much do you tend to uh, do that? Um, so we generally keep in pretty good uh, communication with a lot of the, uh, with, with several of the GTK flavors. So, you know, when Ubuntu Mate hit the, uh, Mate hit the scene, we, we you know started communicating with them, and we're in regular communication with the Ubuntu team and Ubuntu Studio. I think with the IRC channel where we're all together now, I, I think collaboration is going to get better uh, across the Ubuntu flavors. I think that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, well, hopefully it will. One thing that you also mentioned um, on that chat with the guys over there was uh, how small the Ubuntu team is, and that that's something that's come up with other flavors. I know Ubuntu Studio have kind of been um, struggling, and other distros like Void and Corora have, have had problems. And it's something that's always worried me. I mean, how small exactly is the team working on Ubuntu? So we've got two guys on the team that kind of handle most of the actual development. Um, and then there's me and one other guy that actually do the packaging, uh, both upstream and Debian, and then downstream with Ubuntu. 
Um, we've got two artwork guys, um, a QA lead, and a few people that kind of join the QA team from time to time. Um, and one or two people that do marketing. We, we, we're pretty bare bones and it's surprising that we accomplish how much that we do. Yeah, you keep pumping out the releases and keep pumping out the three-year support releases every two years, which is really all you can ask for, I think. And you've certainly kept pace with the other flavors in terms of all that stuff. Do you have a proper governance model in place so that it's not reliant on one particular individual then? Yeah, so almost everything with Ubuntu is in Launchpad. Um, we have various Ubuntu teams. So we've got a council, we have an artwork team, we have a dev team, we have an... Um, we got? we got a QA team, and, and everything's kind of set up with these teams, with the three-person Ubuntu Council actually being in charge of each team, so they're able to actually add and remove uh, members. Um, so we've got a lot of things in place so that if, you know, several of us were to disappear all at once, we could, you know, somebody else could still pick up the project and reassign it to different uh, maintainers. And what about practicalities like the domain name and stuff? Um, so all of that's um, done by the canonicals, um, support team, uh, uh, their information support team or whatever. So basically anytime that we need to do a major like server change or anything, we have to reach out to them. But because they are the ones that kind of maintain it, it also gives us the flexibility of putting other people in place to maintain. Okay, yeah, this it's much likely that Canonical as a company are going to go away <laughs> right. rather than individuals. So that yeah, it kind of seems like a good trade-off there, yeah. Um, I haven't really talked about the XFCE stuff because you, you do contribute to XFCE upstream, don't you? I do. How much do you get involved with that then? I kind of get pulled into just various things. So right now I, I currently am one of the people that maintain the settings manager. I maintain the audio player, Parole. Um, I maintain uh, one of the development libraries, EXO, which is used for the desktop apps. Uh, there's not a current maintainer for uh, Garcon, the... Uh, the menu library, but since I maintain menu libre, I have a feeling I'm going to probably be taking ownership of that soon. Okay. How many other XFCE devs are there then? There's not a whole lot of like full-time ones. I'd say overall, there's probably 10 people that are always around or fairly active in the channel. Um, various contributors kind of come in and they'll take up ownership of, the, of a project and you know either implement a new feature or report it to the 414 or whatever. Um, I guess at any given time, we maybe have 15 active developers, tops. Okay, well, that's not, you know, it's, it's not huge numbers, but it's certainly not a project that is dying. Right. Because that's just the it, what people seem to say about it. People who are kind of high and mighty in their ivory towers of whatever the latest desktop they're using, they look down on XFCE. Um, I don't know why that is. Is it just because it hasn't really changed much over the last 10 or 15 years? I suspect that's what it is because even whenever you put out, you know, a, a new release, um, if somebody shares it on like our Linux or whatever, people will complain that, oh, nothing's changed or, oh, why aren't they adding feature X or feature Y? And I don't, I feel like they miss the idea of XFCE where we just like to keep things consistent and like the desktop as it is, but we'll continue fixing bugs and uh, upgrading the libraries behind it. I mean, for me, once the Whisker menu came in, that was it, feature complete, really. <laughs> uh, because that was the only thing it was lacking was a searchable menu. And that, how long ago was that? That must have been several years at this point. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. I, I feel like 
It was probably before the previous LTS. I think it might have been in 1404. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Um, and really, once you've got that and Catfish is great, you know, what, what else do you need in a desktop? You just want to launch your applications and just get on with the work that you need to do, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we added the new uh, Pulse Audio plugin this cycle, which makes uh, audio devices a lot easier for everybody. Yeah, so what, it's no longer just going to launch Pavu Control then? Um, it, it does have the ability to launch Pavu Control, but it will also let you uh, swap the devices from the plugin menu itself. So you can quickly switch your active device, which will move everything to that new channel, and it's really convenient. Okay, cool. So uh, is there anything else that you should tell us about before we wrap it up? We have finished up the uh, development blueprint for the cycle. So now it's out there. And if uh, people want to come and contribute, um, there's plenty of things to do if you guys want to swing by. What specifically do you need help with then? Um, Well, there's always, uh, you know, bug fixing and bug triage, trying to identify, you know, various issues and help resolve said issues. Um, We always need help with uh, documentation. We need help with uh, translation. So basically, no matter what your skill set is, you can you can help contribute to XFC and Ubuntu. Um, and we have plenty of that uh, documented on Ubuntu.org, I think, slash contribute. We could use all the help we can get. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, no doubt I will speak to you again at some point. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Joe. Well, that chat has really inspired confidence in me. It looks like Ubuntu and XFCE is not going away anytime soon. The development is active, if rather slow. But that totally suits me. I'm absolutely fine with it not changing too much as long as it keeps up and isn't left behind and and doesn't become unusable. And it looks like, fingers crossed, that's uh, not going to be the case. So I'm going to be using it for many years to come. So sorry, Wimpress, but, uh, you know, it's my first love. So that brings us to the end of episode two then. We'll be back with the main show in about a week and I'll be back with another Late Night Linux Extra in two weeks. But until then, I've been Joe, and see you later.